This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Hey there, Knicks fans. Welcome to another episode of Cap Rules Everything Around Me. Cream, get the money, dollar dollar bills, y'all. My name is Jeremy Cohen. Very excited to be here with you today. It is a gorgeous day in New York City, if you happen to be here. Squeezed in a quick bike ride in between work and this, and I am pumped. I am ready to go to have fun with this. So, my one big thing today. Uh, For those of you who maybe were off Twitter or not really watching TV May have may not have seen Alan Hahn talked about Bradley Beal. And he mentioned on ESPN when he was with Mike Greenberg about how he thinks the Knicks should go after Bradley Beal. And uh, the reaction was mixed, to, st- to say the least. I thought uh, I think it was kind of quiet on Twitter today, which was nice. It's always it's a little boring, but it's nice when it's quiet. And the reactions I did see, though, it was some yes and mostly no. And I was thinking about this, you know, so the way I've seen Beal is he does fit some of what the Knicks want, but not entirely, right? Like he's not over 30 years old. He is 30 years old. Um, he's got this massive contract. Uh, he's missed quite a bit of time over the last couple of years. Some of it due to the Wizards tanking, but a lot of it also due to COVID. He's had COVID four times. Uh, He's been injured with his hip. He's had some injuries. And to top it all off, he is in the midst of a five-year, $251 million contract, the final year being a player option, and one year down. And so when I heard Alan Hahn talking about this, I thought, well, that's sure. I get where you're coming from. I understand why Beal would appeal. But it didn't pass and doesn't pass the smell test for me in terms of why I feel he's a suitable target. Um, And seeing as how this is cap rules, everything around me, I thought the best way to convey that was just by quickly running through the salary cap. So here's the deal. Let's presume that the Knicks are operating where they will decline the team option of Derrick Rose. Josh Hart will decline his player option and become an unrestricted free agent. Now, let's also assume that the Knicks don't have a first-round pick this year, keep it as such, and kind of try to figure out where their financial situation might be. Then, let's add, you know, if if you're bringing Beal into the fold, you're going to need someone going out. At least, I mean, they're going to consolidate in some way, but that's also a lot of money. The Knicks would have to aggregate salary to get Beal in the door. So in this case, if you're bringing Beal in, it just makes sense why a player like RJ Barrett would go out. The Knicks won't see RJ as a small ball four. They would want to say, based on the archetypes we laid out, and yes, that can always change depending on the right star. Beal is not the right star where you change up your whole archetype game plan. So you probably move RJ out because they're really not going to be a great fit. There's no defensive prowess there. Grimes is going to be on the smaller side. So it's just a lot of work. 
then you throw in Fournier's salary because, of course, it's just it's expiring salary that helps match for you down the line. And you could keep Obi, right? You could keep Obi, but this is more from the salary perspective of let's say Obi moved out. Again, not suggesting RJ Fournier, Obi picks for Beal, just work with me on the money part. If the Knicks did that and then they re signed Josh Hart to let's call it $18 million and they renounced Dwayne Washington and Trevor Keels' cap holds. Um, and let's assume that they kept. Uh, Daquan Jeffries and Isaiah Roby on their non-guaranteed contracts. Just, just assume it. The Knicks at this point would be $3.3 million away with Beal in the fold now from the luxury tax. And they would have 12 players under contract. That is next to no wiggle room. And mind you, they would have to find a suitable replacement for Obi Toppin. They can't do that with $3.3 million unless they found a journeyman vet who probably isn't going to help them immensely anyway. Um, and they have to fill out a little bit more of their bench. So let's say, okay, if they did all of that, but then they renounced or they non-guaranteed Jeffries and Roby, what would that be? And sure, you'd wipe away $4 million, but then you'd have to add the roster charges there because the Knicks would then have two incomplete roster charges. So you're getting $5.23 million. Again, that's not really enough to sign someone who can do a quality job at the backup spot. Now, the way you work around it is, okay, let's trade into the early second round. Maybe that Pacers pick. And something that I said last week was, you know, the first round, you get a rookie scale four-year deal. And with the second round, you don't get that. And that's true. But the one thing I forgot as we work through this new CBA, which by the way, teams don't really have a copy of as of last week to my knowledge. So everyone's kind of flying by the seat of their pants a little bit here. You have to consider, okay, um, if we sign that player to a rookie exception, which is part of the new CBA, are they going to be good enough and trusted enough in order for that to work out? And you're basically looking at a few different buckets. Can the Knicks be a tax team or can they rather, can they stay away from the tax? Can they upgrade their team? And can they keep their depth? Those are the three things you really want to maintain this offseason. And the Knicks can't really maintain their depth by doing that. Um, they'd still be depleted probably at the four. If they kept Obi, they'd be over the luxury tax. So then they're a tax team or, again, someone else has to go out. But it's not going to be as easy as, well, let's just ship Deuce McBride, Jericho Sims, that type of salary out. So... With me, when it comes to Beal, yes, he certainly would add that that scoring prowess, that pull-up ability uh, that the Knicks need. He's just making a bit too much money where it's it's a crunch. There's not enough breathing room, right? And even if you could get behind, hey, he's going to be 30 years old or you know, 31, even with that, it's the extra... Six or seven million dollars uh, compared to say, like someone who signed a thirty percent max instead of what Beal signed last offseason, which was a thirty-five percent max, and that was also kind of why I shifted more towards Levine when I talked about based on what the Knicks are doing, why it would make sense to go after this type of player. It may not seem like that seven million dollars between Beal and Levine's salary is significant. But it is. It's the difference between really adding significant depth maybe at the MLE and not. 
And that could come back to bite you. And the difference, of course, is someone like Cat isn't making that. So you could swap out Levine for Cat and the salary works. But then his salary is a 35% max the next year, which is a lot of money. It's $50 million and more. Whereas someone like Levine in a different spot, he's still earning $7 million less than Cat and continuing to earn $7 million less than Beal. So that was kind of how I went about it. And while I understand Alan Hahn's appreciation for Beal, the margins get squeezed way too thin for my liking if the Knicks are abiding by the luxury tax, which they should. They're not good enough to get into the tax. You don't want to start that clock until you're confident that you're a very good team. All that being said, of course, if someone like Levine's off the board, do you go back to Beal? Maybe you do, but it's just, it's very tight. And I don't love how close it is to that amount, to the luxury tax, and then starts the clock for the Knicks. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm fully out on Bradley Beal. I would say I'm probably 70% out, 30% in. But there are other moves that would have to be made in order for me to feel comfortable due to the fact that he's earning that much more money than a Zach Levine type. So that's my one big thing for the day. And if we have any questions or comments on the books, let's get started. All right. First one, HamDM. Thank you so much for the Super Chat contribution. In your opinion, what would be the worst move the Knicks can make? Beal, if a player with a no trade gets traded, does that carry over? So it should not carry over. As soon as someone like Beal would say, I waive my no trade protection, should be able to be moved after that. I would say, again, I, I would lean more towards, I think going after Cat would be not great. Um, I, you know, again, I respect the idea of, of why he's a really good player. And he is, he's an incredible offensive player. I just struggle with what he brings. Um, at the five, what he brings at the four, it doesn't feel like he has the best attributes at either position uh, when it, when push comes to shove. And that's why, as I've said before, you know, you really need to have some sort of adequate to elite defender at the four. A lot of the best teams in, uh, in the last 10 years or so, the Nuggets, look at what they did with Aaron Gordon and how important he was to that team. He was able to take a back seat. Now, I'm not saying the Knicks should replicate what the Nuggets are doing because the Nuggets have Nikola Jokic, and that's not exactly something you can emulate. But it's the soul, the mindset of you got to have rim protection. You need a capable four on the offensive end who can also play really strong defense. And the rest of your lineup, you can kind of mix and match where you need it to be. So for me, it's more about Cat. Uh, again, I'm comfortable moving Randall. It's just about what comes back. Similar as said, RJ. That would probably be my worst, like the worst move in my mind. And again, Cat's a really good player. Fits the timeline just positionally and based on the allocation of resources. I, I don't, I don't see it. Um, and I'm honestly just ruling out a lot of the trades for guys who are in their 30s. I'm ruling out like the Pascal Siakam type move. I, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I'll go with Cat, which again, great player, just all about fit. And I, I don't think that's really here. Handy M again. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, Jeremy, why would Chicago be looking to trade Zach Levine and not other players on the roster? They easily could. You know, I mean, the, the when we were talking about it on the pod, it was more just about the Knicks angle 
and less about addressing the fit that would be, hey, if RJ Barrett were on that team, what would that team look like? They could tear it down. They could retool on the fly. Um, maybe there's a three-team deal at play where, I mean, there was a rumor about the Spurs and Fournier. I don't know how much I buy into that, but let's play along with it. Let's say that did happen. And Fournier went to the Spurs and McDermott or, you know, goes from the Spurs to the Bulls. There's some sort of three-team deal. Maybe the Bulls don't take that kind of money back. Do they want to keep saving money? Their pick situation is a little murky based on the fact that there are protections to it and they they may want to tank. I mean, next year, I think they're actually fine. The pick won't convey because of Stepien. Um, so they have that pick, but the year after that and a few years after that too, it's protected. So it could just be that the Bulls want to build around a young team and try to sell it like that. And they can replace a lot of their picks and go from there. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a good question. I don't know if the Bulls want to change things up. I, they really don't have a way of getting better talent than where they're at right now. So it's, I mean, I, you know, like, what are they doing? Is it Caruso and the few picks that they have at their disposal? One of which is a protected Blazers pick. Um, and who knows if that's going to convey or not. I feel like it, you could tell me it would be three next year. Or you could tell me it would be 22. And I'd say, sure, I, I buy it based on how they would operate. So they could rebuild. They could run it back. I guess the main question is, does, does Reinsdorf feel that it's profitable? Does he like the money that comes in? Because the Bulls constantly sell out, whether they are a good team or a bad team. So how much of the playoff revenue is important? How many playoff games do the Bulls have this year? At home, zero. They had zero play-in games at home. They had zero playoff games at home. They won one on the road and they lost one. So I'm sure there's some gate receipts that are shared, but it's not like the Bulls could really profit off of that. So at what point does management say, well, we could retool on the fly and this is probably our best opportunity to do it. They're just... They're talking so loudly that I, I just wonder if they're trying to speak, speak something into existence. Like, oh, yeah, we're definitely retaining Nikola Vucevic. Maybe. Maybe they are. Maybe it's also a way for them to try to test the market and see if they can do a sign and trade. Maybe they want to move DeMar DeRozan to a team. All sorts of things in the air. But I, to answer your question, Hamdi, I'm not entirely sure why they would blow it up, which is why I, I think that there's certainly a possibility that Zach Levine doesn't get moved to the Knicks. It was more... All things considered, if he were on the market, if he were attainable, this is why he makes sense from the Knicks perspective based on what they're building. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. 
And now, a quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Bird Dogs. Do you want a pair of shorts that aren't just comfortable but make you look good? Well, Bird Dogs has just what you need. Their stretch khakis are designed to fit slimmer, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. That's because they aren't like regular shorts, which are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Instead, they invented a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khakis, but stretches. Now, you get a waist slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs also use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all summer long. So I'll ask again, want to look good while being comfortable? Don't hesitate. Head to birddogs.com to check out their full catalog of shorts, pants, and so much more. You can also use the promo code POOL to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. Again, that's birddogs.com. That's bird, B-I-R-D, dogs, D-O-G-S, dot com, and promo code POOL, P-O-O-L, to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler with your first order. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Uh, Ghost Dog LT, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. Do you think Rokas would come to the NBA? When would that happen? And what value do you think he has to the Knicks as an asset or player? So I maintain that I feel like he's going to come over next year. Next year feels like a type of year that he would go. The frustrating part in my mind, and again, this is all subject to change, but I can't shake the idea that the Knicks keep Emmanuel quickly. They extend him at some point before the October deadline. And then if a star comes their way, that is salary that they use. It's not ideal. Would love for Emmanuel quickly to be a Nick the rest of his life, but that is certainly a prevailing thought. Now, if quickly leaves, how are you replacing him? Usually, really good ball handlers. It's tough to get them. Rookies are not the easiest because there's some growing pains there. So then there's the prevailing thought of if I'm the Knicks and I can essentially sign Rokas Jakobaitis to a very cheap deal for three to four years, that's how you are able to balance out your roster a little bit more. You're able to still get the ball handling, the pull-up shooting, the finishing, all of that. Um, you're not getting the defense. The team defense that Emmanuel quickly brings is phenomenal. So you have to try to beef it up in other ways. But I think that's the other corresponding thought of if you're the Knicks and you moved quickly and you need to beef up the defense, you're also probably or potentially moving Randall in some capacity. Maybe you're aggregating salary to get someone better at the four in that way. Again, plenty of time between now and then. Who knows if either of the players I just mentioned is even on the roster. But I think Rokas's value is most significant to the Knicks as a player who is on the cheap when you have all these players earning big money and top-end talent and you need to fill out your bench with guys who can really handle it. And they don't need to be paid a lot of money. So that's where he comes into play. And I know the idea of, oh, well, you know, trade his draft rights. The clock hasn't started for him yet. That's appealing. Totally can be. But to me, he's kind of the next wave, right? Like he's the next phase of young players for when the Knicks continue making more trades. And even if the Knicks don't move Emmanuel quickly, let's say they moved Deuce McBride or you know, he just wasn't with the team anymore. The Knicks run a 10-man rotation and bring Rokas Jakobaitis over and play him off of Emmanuel quickly. That's a lot of fun. That's how you replace good production and get some good offense going. So he means more from the outside looking in to the Knicks as a player than he does as a trade asset. Um, but no, he should be coming over at some point. I know 
it's tough. And a lot of fans want that to happen sooner than later. Maybe he's an afterthought because he's not coming over, but call me crazy. I just, there's something about the timing and the interview. He said a couple, I think it was like a year, year and a half ago. There was something about the wording that made it seem like 2024. Uh, I'm not basing it off of that. It's more just the timing would overlap where it makes sense. Um, not to say that's been the Knicks grand plan all along with move quickly out and get Rokas in, but just moving pieces and having an idea of contracts and when that can work. So see if he's here next year as in the 2024 season. Thank you for contribution. Uh, Alfie Abad. Hey, Jeremy, longtime fan of the pod. Thank you. What do you think of a potential eight into the Knicks trade? I, you know, it's funny. Hamdi was asking about the kind of worst case scenario. And I just didn't think of Aiton because I just have already ruled him out. But I would, I would say Aiton to me is a worse option than, uh, than Kat, to be quite honest. I am just, I'm not an Aiton fan. I'm, it's just not in my nature. I worry about the motivation. And that's something that's really hard to gauge in players, especially when you don't know them personally. So I always am hesitant to saying it. The reason I feel a little bit more confident in terms of saying that with Aiton is it just feels like we have years of experience. And I've there's some stories, just don't have to go into it, but just ways that he does not seem to be the motivated person. And when there are public comments about, uh, I, I believe it was something along the lines of he was playing for that second contract and he got it. It concerns me a little bit, right? Like his generational wealth and that's, incredible and I'm very happy for him but there're just times where you want someone who's so relentless especially on the boards it feels like that's Mitchell Robinson quite a bit on the offensive end and I don't want to zoom out and just say look or zoom, zoom in and look at this one play the play with Jokic and Aiton where Aiton pretty much just stopped and was watching this all happen but it was a microcosm of a greater thing that has happened with Aiton and Monty Williams is very revered. I'm not saying that that is the full story per se. You know, they say there are three sides to every story. One side, the other side, and the truth. I don't know. It's more just that there seem to be greater concerns with Aiton than meets the eye. And he puts up great stats. I just, I don't like that fit here in New York. He's a player I really wouldn't love the Knicks to go after. He does add the dimension with the face-up game on the offensive end. It's really just an effort thing for me that I get concerned about. If he were that good, I feel like the Suns would have just paid him as opposed to letting it get ugly, get to restricted free agency, matching, and that whole thing. I just feel as though he's going to cost more to the Knicks than he is worth. And there are other teams that are going to like is Dallas going to do it? Dallas has a habit of not being able to retain talent. So stands to reason that they might want to trade some sort of their assets for someone who they know will not leave for a few years. I, it's just not an interest for me for the Knicks based on a multitude of factors. So Alfie, not super interested. Hamdi, I'm going to revise my answer and I'm going to go with Aiton. Uh, Hamdi again. Thank you. Uh, is Tibbs up for an extension soon? He should be. I I wouldn't be surprised if he were extended. Let's see. He's been three years into a five-year contract. I guess the prevailing question here is, does he crap the bed in the playoffs 
next year, right? Um, if he doesn't, it stands to reason if the Knicks bring him back, if he's entering the fifth year of a five-year contract, that the Knicks would just extend him. The Knicks have shown in the past, or I should say James Dolan has shown in the past, that he's not worried about paying someone to go away. So if you're thinking, oh my God, the Knicks extended Tibbs, that means he's we're stuck with him forever. No, it just means he got more money. He's probably staying a little bit longer, but he got paid. Um, it's really more of an assurance thing. You don't want coaches to go into a next season or, or executives or like, hey, where's my contract? The Bob Myers thing seemed a little ugly towards the end. Ultimately, he said he just didn't want to do it. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to have to deal with that luxury tax bill and say to Steph, Clay, and Dre, hey, here's why it's not going to work. So he went out on top, so to speak. Uh, I just, I would imagine that Tibbs is extended at some point, if not this season, the next offseason. But it really depends on if it's really bad, then that's that. That being said, for the gripes that I have, the gripes that many others have, he's coached the Knicks to playoffs two year, two times in the last three years. There's work to be done for sure. He is a floor-elevating coach. It's up to the Knicks front office to decide when that floor has been met and when you can maybe get past that with your ceiling. But I would imagine that if an extension doesn't come this offseason, it would be there next offseason. Ben Kim Gurvey. Jeremy, thanks for doing this. Of course, Ben. Question, who are the most likely cap casualty teams out there that will be looking to cut salary of younger backups? So let's pull up the list of teams. I mean, the that's the thing. The younger backups are going to be what is encouraging for them to keep. Uh, like the Pelicans, they're going to run into some issues with more of their top-end talent, potentially. It's going to be hard to pay everyone. But that's but this report with Shams where my in case for those who didn't know uh, who didn't see it, Shams was reporting that the Blazers and there's a pick on the market and the number three might be shopped. Pelicans were in the running. I'm sure it could be Zion. It could be Brandon Ingram because Brandon Ingram is up for a contract in two years, whereas Zion's under contract for five more years. I took it as okay, well, who is this benefiting? Um yeah, it could benefit the Blazers for sure, maybe to drum up the market there. And there's also the prevailing thought of what if it's the Pelicans leaking it to um, Shams to try to put pressure on the Hornets? What if the Hornets are saying, well, maybe we'd like Brandon Ingram here. We'd be fine doing that. We want to win. Cool. Um, if that's the case, you kind of lose leverage if the team says, okay, well, we don't actually have to trade with you. We could just trade Brandon Ingram to the team directly behind you, and you'll probably pick Brandon Miller, so we'll just take Scoot Henderson there, and that's who we want. So maybe that's the hardball play that they're going with, but you know, in terms of young talent that's on the move, um, I just think it's more likely to be more expensive talent, you know, like the, the Jordan Pools of the world. Uh, Tyler Hero, another name. It's just Cheap talent's going to be that much more appealing, so I think that they would try to keep it. But the Herb Jones, Herbert Jones was raised as a potential option last week. I don't think that's crazy at all. I would imagine my I bet that he stays in New Orleans, but I understand completely why he might be moved, depending, of course, what they do with Ingram and how they go about it that way. But yeah, cost-controlled salary is going to be super important. So 
it's going to be harder to pry those young players. It's going to be better, though, for teams like the Knicks who hold a couple second round picks in the uh, likely 31 to 40 range. Those picks should have significant value of all things considered. I mean, they're not going to be first round picks, but depending on the team that has salary issues, would I rather pick 33rd or 28th? If I love a player that much, maybe I go 28th, but I feel like most of the time I'd go 33rd because if I have tax ramifications from it, I'd rather just duck the tax. So thank you for the question, Ben. I think it's, I think those guys are keepers for the most part, unfortunately. Uh, Kevin Levitt, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. If they don't make a major trade for a star, do you see them trying to offload Fournier to get under the tax? No, just because that doesn't feel like something Aller would do. Um, it just it just doesn't pass the smell test there. It feels as though using positive assets to move off of Fournier, it wouldn't be something that necessarily appeals. Now, is there is that a good time to do it? Maybe. With that said, the Knicks don't have to. They have until what is essentially unofficially the deadline to make that money move. I don't think that the seven, eight, nine, however many teams that have significant cap space will all be hitting the salary cap by the time the deadline starts. There might be one or two teams that could make things work. But there's always the possibility that, you know, come the deadline, the Knicks say, okay, hey, San Antonio, we're trying to duck the tax here. Uh, let's move Fournier to you. We'll take McDermott. We'll send you cash and we'll send you a second round pick. And, and we're good. And that's the way that they could do it as opposed to dumping 18 plus million dollars outright to get rid of them. So I, I would see, I would imagine there are more creative ways to go about it than kind of like here, just take, just take the money. We don't, or take the player. We don't really want him. We can't use him and he's too expensive for us. So that's where I think the patience is a virtue thing might come into play. I would not advise it. And I fortunately just don't see it happening. Um, would be surprised if they went that way. But thank you, Kevin. Hannibal Miles, thank you for the super chat. Any thoughts on a potential trade with Phoenix that the Knicks should consider? Not that I would want to give up quickly, but I feel like we would have the most leverage with them. Let's pull up uh, Phoenix's uh, salary for this upcoming year. Uh, my guess as it's loading is no, uh, that there isn't a whole lot that they can do. Okay, so they've got Durant and Booker. Neither is going anywhere. They probably turn Aiton into uh, multiple players, rotation players. Chris Paul is a whole other story, whether they eat the money or maybe they find a way to move him. You know, I would have thought moving him to Boston for Brogdon and Gallinari, that type of thing. That is a way to add a little bit more depth. And the Suns probably don't care about the payroll at that point. So maybe it works for them where they have uh, Brogdon's salary the following year. Still doubtful it happens. Shamit, he's got a very advantageous contract guaranteed for $10.2 million. 10.25 million this year, and then it's non-guaranteed for um, the next year, and then it's a club option the year after that. So off the top of my head, you know, if you were to move quickly uh, in involving Shamit, you could make the math work by guaranteeing some other salary like Roby and Jeffries and kind of get there. But what is coming back that's beneficial for the Knicks? 
Um, it doesn't really seem like that's something that it works. Uh, you know, the Suns just gave up a lot of their pick situation. So if they're in the second tax apron, then oh, actually they, this summer, they can't even move any of their first to begin with. Uh, so it's really just a matter of, are we talking about swaps? Is it a, a, because the Suns didn't give up any swaps when they traded those picks to the nets. It was really just 23, 25, 27 and 29. So yeah, maybe if you're the Knicks and you're saying, cool, we could go after a 2026 swap and um, potentially a 2028 swap, although that's a, you know least favorable of these other teams and it's, it's not going to be as beneficial, but all that just swaps for Emmanuel quickly. It's a risk. It's a significant risk because you are basically betting on the Suns to shut it down and to trade out their picks. But the 2026 draft, I would imagine that Duran is still on the team. Booker will still be on the team. So if they're a good team, then you're trading quickly for a swap. It just it doesn't work. That being said, if we moved quickly aside, the Suns in the past, now this might be different because of new ownership. Under James Jones, they didn't draft anyone with the second round. They consistently traded those picks away. Now, if there were a way for the Knicks to, you know, like if this is where I wish they had kind of like a early second, late first round pick to begin with, because then they could say, Phoenix, we'll trade you this pick for a bunch of seconds, right? Three future seconds. And maybe this is something they do next year where Brock Aller has essentially preyed on other teams and thought, hey, when you are going to be bad, we'll hold your pick. And that's good for us. And if we sense that you're going to be a decent team where the seconds don't have value, we're going to collect a bunch of these and put it towards, say, drafting or trading into the first round and getting Jalen Duran and flipping him over to Detroit. That sort of mindset. So if there were a move to do that, it would be that. But I think it's a year early to do that. I also don't want to help the Suns because I admittedly still think that Devin Booker is an option here and I don't want to help them get better and potentially extend that timeline. But, you know, that's quickly there doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because of the lack of assets that the Suns have. So hopefully he stays and we don't have to worry about him being in Phoenix anytime soon. But thank you. And now a quick word from our friends at Oakley. Here's the one and only Jonathan Macri to tell you why Julius Randle's regular season was more than meets the eye. Hey, what's up? Jonathan Macri here with our good friends at Oakley to tell you why Julius Randle's All-NBA season was more than meets the eye. In scoring over 1,900 points this season, Randle moved into 20th place on the franchise's all-time scoring list. He also averaged just over 25 points a night, becoming the seventh Nick ever to do so. Finally, he became just the 57th player ever to top 57 points. How's that for some symmetry? Yes, we're disappointed by his playoff performance, but even so, this season from Julius Randle gave us more than meets the eye. 
Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakley's today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Nick's Film School, our motto is look good, play good. And that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Let's get back to it. Juanon, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. As the Zion rumors swirl, I'll ask again. Herb Jones, think the Pelicans might have interest. Also curious your thoughts to Begley name dropping Seth Curry on the mid-level exception. Do you think that signals a move for one of IQ Grimes, RJ? So uh, hope that me talking about Herb Jones uh, five, ten, however many minutes ago, satisfied where you're looking for Juanon. Yes, I think... He's an option for other teams, but I if they're moving Brandon Ingram, for example, it reduces that and they probably just lock him up for a pretty cheap contract. All things considered by cheap, I mean, you know, whatever the second round max would be before he hits the open market. Uh, they could do that. As for Seth Curry, you know, I, I don't know where what Ian's hearing or where his head is at. I'll say I didn't take it too much into account of genuine Nick's interest here. Uh, he's been hurt quite a bit. At least that's as memory serves. So I, he's someone I'd probably want to shy away from just as he gets a little bit older. I was surprised to see him included in the article. So maybe it's something worth raising or half raising an eyebrow. Uh, that said, I don't think it signals one of IQ Grimes or RJ moving. It might have just been here's someone that He's covered with the Nets. That's an option that works. I don't think one has anything to do with the other, but I'm not the one who's um, pounding pavement ear to the ground right now working before the draft. I still I still can't help but think that the Knicks look for someone more towards the front court with the mid-level exception, just based on the one thing Ian has said, or he said towards the beginning of the season was that the Knicks are probably going to have to decide between Quickly and Toppin. And I still think that rings true. They don't have to make a decision on Obi this summer. That being said, once that deadline in October passes, he's guaranteed to hit restricted free agency. And maybe there's a team that says, we like Obi Toppin enough. We could either play it out if the money doesn't work, or we're happy extending him. Because if the Knicks did extend him, he's then subject to the same poison pill situation that RJ was subjected to. So I just, I still think that will ring true in terms of the Knicks eventually pick between quickly 
and Toppin this summer. Um, of course, the larger question is, is one of them going to be here within the next couple of years? Are they both going to be gone? We shall see one off season at a time for sure. But if you moved Obi out, I think that that also stands to reason where this is kind of a draft thing. I was talking about this with Prez and I said to him, if the Knicks keep Roby on the books and, and they don't have to guarantee his contract until January 10th. So let's say they have him there. It stands to reason that he would be their third um, string four. that he probably wouldn't see a ton of time as a backup. It would really be more if there's an injury, but that does leave a hole there for the Knicks and the way the Knicks have typically operated. And I say typically, cause we don't have a ton of sample size here, but we have enough where I feel like there's something to work with. The Knicks went into the 2022 or excuse me, the 2021 draft and they got Grimes and they knew that Grimes was not going to be in the rotation. And of course they signed Fournier and they signed Kemba and they did everything that they did. And it didn't really work as we all know, but it stood to reason of they wanted depth more at the kind of the two, three. And I can't help but wonder if that's where the Knicks go again. I know we talked about uh, Pajemski. I think he's probably more of a one. Uh, he seems to be a draft riser, so he may not even be available wherever the Knicks might draft. But looking at that, it's okay. How much are the Knicks as they want to win? And it's harder to win with rookies and rookies with Tibbs often don't get much of a starting or significant minutes, I should say, unless there's no one in front of them, like IQ, like Obi um, in their rookie years. So are the Knicks going to move Obi out, get someone at the mid-level exception to do that, and then draft for depth and salary and all those sorts of things? It could be. Maybe. But it's um, they still have to move money in order to afford more of the mid-level exception, at least the full mid-level exception. It's going to be a very fascinating couple few weeks. And the one thing I'll say before I, I move on, I don't know you all, I love the fact that the Knicks played in deep into the second round for many reasons. Uh, the first being, I really enjoyed seeing the Knicks winning games. That was not something that we saw much after April and years past. But the other second reason is the gap between the Knicks season ending and the kind of the, the come down from that and process to where we are right now to the draft, it's not that difficult. I've been okay. I'm not really anxious. I'm more just like, all right, cool. Let's do it. I'm a little bored, but I'm not worried. We'll get there and it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, it's been a really quiet off season too. Usually by this point, I know, I know this off season is truncated for the reasons I just mentioned, but usually we hear a lot of interest. Hasn't been much. Uh, this front office seems to be very quiet right now which to some will be good. That's exactly how our front office should be working. And to others will be, I'm terrified because there's nothing out there that I can process and grasp. And oh my God, let's get there already. But I'm chill. Hopefully you are too. Thank you, Junon. Greg B, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. How much money rotation players are making nowadays? Is the 12.2 MLE alone really enough to make an ECF level jump? I'm starting to think a trade is the only way to meaningfully improve the roster. Absolutely, Greg. Uh, John and I talked about the mid-level exception last week. And really what you're getting from the mid-level exception, you're getting salary that you can try to move in future trades, and you're getting depth. Uh, you're adding to your depth, but 
typically speaking, the pieces that you add to your depth don't raise your ceiling, they'll raise your floor. So do I think that anyone signed with the mid-level exception gets the Knicks to the Eastern Conference Finals? Absolutely not. Nope. I think they will play a contributing role, but top-end talent is what wins in the NBA. And that doesn't get solved with the middle of exception, gets solved with a larger trade, especially when it comes to consolidating. So we're on the same page there, Greg. Thank you. SC, how about Kuzma at the three, where you don't trade Randall, which the front office doesn't want to do, and you move RJ to the two, where he can focus his evolution on defense, then add DiVincenzo and Watanabe. Okay. Um, so in order for this to really... There are ways of doing this. They're extremely complicated. The least complicated would be Kuzma opting in to his contract and being traded for Fournier and picks, right? Okay, let's just assume that would be the case. Unlikely, for sure, because Kuzma is likely to opt out and then you have to deal with base year compensation. The rules of that game are ugly. But even still, I think the greater issue is, okay, now we're talking about what? Brunson, RJ, Kuzma, Randall, likely Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson has zero help on the defensive end. Now, I say that knowing full well that Kuzma had a really good defensive season last year. He played very nicely. Always have to wonder, is that um, a contract year? What is he responsible for in terms of the defensive efforts and the matchups. And it's so there's so much more to it than just that. How were they schemed? The challenge here is if, if I go back to the archetype standpoint for just a moment, okay, you have RJ working on his defense, but you don't have anyone one through four who I would consider generally speaking to be a great defender. I would say Kuzma is a good defender at a really great year, but you're struggling a lot there and RJ working on his defense is important, but the expectation is now too much, right? For example, the year that it didn't work out with Kemba Fournier and Barrett, obviously the Knicks put three players who were not strong defenders on the court together. And based on how they've operated, a lot of the tougher matchups likely would have gone to RJ Barrett and RJ wasn't able to succeed. And that was on the front office for adding two players around RJ who just were turnstiles and he was caught in, in an uncomfortable position. You really need someone who can be a solid, low usage, efficient shooter who's a great defender. That's Quentin Grimes. He is the glue that held that starting five together, especially when you consider how bad they were with Evan Fournier in his place to start the season. So if you're doing this, you're moving Grimes, who was one of the best corner shooters in the NBA last year. And it just makes everything feel difficult. You have too many guys who need the ball in their hands and not enough players who are comfortable playing super off ball and can thrive in that off ball role. So I don't love the fit. Uh, first, I, I also think Kuzma is much more of a four than he is a three. RJ is honestly more of a four than he is a, a three or even a two. Um, and the, not in the sense of like 
size and strength. Well, he's a strong guy, but uh, really more in terms of his game is maybe a little bit slower. It's not a fast-paced thing, so it could get a little clunky in terms of how they operate. And the Knicks really need someone who's a lot more fluid, who's a little bit more explosive. Um, all these reasons why I just wouldn't feel comfortable with Kuzma at the three. It'd be too hard to get in there. I mean, RJ at the two, and he grinds us out of the lineup. Uh, you still have Randall there. It just um, it doesn't it doesn't work. So that's why I'd be against it. And then in terms of the Divincenzo and Watanabe part, it's now predicated on role. Okay, let's say you move Grimes out. Um, okay, you move him back. Now you're talking quickly. Grimes and Hart off the bench. Where does that leave time for DiVincenzo? Um, so now are you moving one of those players? Because it's not going to be Hart. If you're moving quickly, are you moving them for Kuzma? Because that's not good. Um, similar to be said with Grimes, it's not something that I'd be open to. Just doesn't mesh well. And Watanabe is really, you know, I don't see him seeing significant and strong minutes at the four. He, he He's not the type of player that the Knicks want at the four. So just a long-winded way of saying, I get the idea behind it. There are just so many moving pieces and reasons why I'd be apprehensive to it that it, it's just, it's not worth, the juice isn't worth the squeeze for this one. But I appreciate the thought. Sean Harris, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. D-Rose, two picks and a swap for DeMar. Mitch, Evan, and a second or swap for Aiton. Jalen, RJ, DeMar, Randall Aiton. Okay. Well, let's take a step back. Um, Derek Rose is unlikely to have his contract guaranteed unless it helps the Knicks land someone that they're comfortable going into the luxury tax for. I do not believe that DeMar DeRozan, 33, is a player that the Knicks feel is worthwhile doing that. Um, I'm also speaking as myself for that. It's not necessarily the move that I could see um, working. I think from the Bulls perspective, you could probably get Derrick Rose to come home for the minimum and you could move DeMar for something potentially better than that. I know you said two picks. I would imagine you mean uh, first. Maybe you don't. Maybe you mean seconds. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Not entirely sure. Um, But then, okay, Mitch... Evan and a second round swap for Aiton. The Suns are going to want more than that for Aiton, I would imagine. I think they're probably, even though I am not an Aiton fan, I imagine they're looking for someone better than Mitch. Evan is really kind of just expiring salary at this point. The role that he would fit, they pretty much have someone in Shamit, so they'd have to move Shamit out. I think they're probably looking for a little bit more relief from their depth or for their depth and add more talent that way. Um, and then in terms of, you know, like RJ, DeMar and Randall, it goes back to what I was just saying with Kuzma. Those are four or three guys, excuse me, who handle, we're really like fours. Uh, they do different things, of course, but the way that they move, there's not a whole lot of fluidity. There's not a lot of explosiveness. You need something more than that. You need more off ball shooting. Uh, it doesn't stretch the floor nearly enough to what the Knicks might like. I get, of course, that you have Aiton in there, but Aiton's not going to be this prolific three-point shooter. He's going to be a face-up guy, maybe from mid-range, uh, some shots at the rim, of course. But 
in terms of kind of the fit for all five of those, um, I think that the, it just wouldn't really mesh with the approach the Knicks have taken, which is let's space the floor with really efficient young talent. Uh, and I think that the price tags for getting those guys is going to be a little bit more uh, than what is kind of posited here. But uh, I appreciate the creativity, Sean. Thank you so much. Uh, JVRI, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. Levine aside, it's hard for me to imagine this front office making a major move for one of the other guys potentially available, Dame, Beal, Cat, etc. Starting to think the rotation may basically say the same you. I'd still be surprised, but I just want this to be out there. Um, I saw this on Twitter and I thought it was completely rational. Uh, I believe it was David Perlmutter who, who tweeted it. Uh, if the Knicks run it back, it does not mean that they are running it back because they want to run it back. It could very easily mean that they just did not find the right suitors or the right package and nothing lined up well enough for them to go forth and do it. And again, as I said with the RJ Barrett and Julius Randle cap or no cap, especially with RJ, it's not worth moving RJ just to move RJ. If it's a bad deal, don't do it. You can find a way to keep him. And then you try again if that's where the Knicks mindset is of we still need someone to change things up. But yes, if there's a player who does not fit with what they are doing and their identity, and if there's a talented enough player uh, who would cause them to change up their identity, but that player isn't available, then it, there's an understanding for why they would run it back. I still just have a hard time seeing it, but I'm with you. Uh, JB in the sense of, well, what are the right options? What are the, the ideas and, and the, the targets that make sense if it's not Levine, if it's not any of those other players listed? That's where I am also incredibly curious to see where the Knicks go about it. But um, yeah, if it's the same, it's not going to be from a lack of trying. I can promise you that. And then uh, we got Therno, Fakilo, uh, Therno Fakilo, Fakilo, I'm so sorry. I'm butchering your name. I, my apologies, but thank you uh, for the super chat contribution. Uh, hi from Greece. Imagine there is no cap. Want your opinion on fit? Which one would you rather? Uh, which one would you rather? Paul George, Cat, Mikhail Bridges, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal. All right, I'm going to go in order of this for the Knicks. So number one is going to be SGA. Has to be SGA. Incredible young talent. I don't see him going anywhere from Oklahoma City anytime soon. He's number one. Number two. Uh, interesting. This is where it gets tricky. I know this is going to be... I know it's going to come off as a hot take. I, I get it. Um, it's going to be Levine. Not Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail, I've got three. Here's the reason why. I tr like Availability is best ability, and that's what Mikhail Bridges has. He's not missed a game. He is an incredible talent, fantastic two-way player. The issue for me, because again, he'd be a great fit here. It's really about kind of what the Knicks are lacking here. Um, and what the Knicks are really lacking, in my opinion, is the pull-up threat that Levine presents. Great finishing, ability to play really well off ball. Mikhail does that too. He really does. Um, I'd love to have him here too. It's like it's neck and neck, but Levine wins it out for me just based on the driving ability. It's so important for what the Knicks need in terms of their offense. So that's 
because it's basically like, hey, what if we get RJ, but he can pull up and he can finish and he's a little bit more explosive, but he just costs a lot more and there's some lingering concerns. It also, it's not a little bit more expensive. He's certainly more expensive. That's where I'm at. Um, but Mikhail just, it's like 2A, 2B. Let's put it that way. Uh, then after that, I'd have to go with uh, Bradley Beal. Again, we're ignoring the salary cap, which is perfect. I think Beal on a different contract, completely different opinion of him. I have Cat uh, after that. The reason I have Cat after that is I'm just, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of, of big men. I think Jokic is generational player. Uh, and I think for that reason, that's why he's been able to succeed. It's really hard to replicate that. And I've got Paul George coming in last. Paul George is an archetype and as a player, phenomenal. He's 33. He's missed a ton of games. He's missed 39% of possible regular season games of the last four years. I can't in good conscience say like, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. Let me elevate him over other players. It's really tough for me. To do that, I don't think the timeline meshes. I think by the time the Knicks really hit their peak, it's probably even with Paul George, um, it's like two years in. So now we're talking about a 35-year-old Paul George, extension eligible. Uh, how many years are you signing him for? We're not talking about the math. We're just talking about the years in terms of contract length. So yeah, I would go with SGA, Levine, Mikhail, Beal, Cat. Paul George, I'm sure there are going to be some disagreements with that, and that's totally fine. But based on working out with this Knicks team, their ages, their talent, all of that, that's my order, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you so much all for tuning in. Uh, please remember to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications. If you're listening, please leave a five-star rating and a review. It's great. Happy we could do this. We're going to do this again. We're going to do next week. We've got some really great content coming up. We're in the home stretch right before things get especially fun. I'm looking forward to draft night and the pandemonium that ensues. I'm sure it's going to be chaotic because what Nick's draft has not been chaotic. So get ready for that. We've got an episode with John coming out this week. Got the casuals on deck too. Draft class is going to be coming back, I believe, as well. So got some good content. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around. Really appreciate it for another episode of uh, Cream. I guess Andrew putting it in the chat, so I'm allowed to say what it is or, or who the guest is. We got Fred Katz coming, so Fred will have some insight in terms of what the Knicks maybe will do or could do or won't do or who knows. We'll see what that's all about. But thank you all so much again. Have a great rest of your day, evening, uh, and we'll talk soon. Bye.